My name is Bruce, and before I started, uh, before I became the pastor of this church, I was on staff at another church in Riverside, uh, about an hour, hour two or two east of here, Stone Arbor Church, which is our sending church. And so maybe you knew that I already, that I had served on a church, but when I first arrived at at that other church, though, uh, I was pursuing a different career field and church was secondary in my life in terms of focus. So age 21, newly married, just arrived at, at this church, and I was so self-focused and rude and, uh, and unmotivated that the pastor of that church, Josh, when he first met me, he thought, he's not going to last long here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he was thinking, yeah, he'll, he'll probably be gone in a couple Sundays. And when I look back at myself at that time, I would have made the same assessment. <laughs> and so uh, I didn't have a, a bright, shining future. At least I wasn't giving off that appearance. But somehow, somehow God worked in me, and he caused me to be the kind of faithful man that, that could serve in a church. It's astounding to me that I eventually uh, you know, changed career fields and, and began to work for a church. And as you know, we just sang the song Amazing Grace, and it truly was God's grace that I moved into a, a ministry position, and I truly am amazed, <laughs> it is amazing, that I'm standing here today, standing in front of you all in this way, because if you knew the real dirt on me, you would be amazed too. And I, I, I've thought, I've been motivated often by what Paul said in 1 Timothy. He says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Um, I feel very, very similar in in saying that God, you know, it's not that I brought my own faithfulness to the table, it's that God made me the kind of man that could faithfully serve in a church. So it was, it was all God's work, and my whole life actually is God's work. Then I consider my marriage, which is 16 years going, and... Many people perhaps have been married longer, but I take anniversaries very seriously because each one is really hard to get to. <laughs> and uh, when, when I first got married, and I was so relationally dysfunctional that I nearly jeopardized the whole thing countless times. And over the years, I, I have often thought, I have no idea how people stay married who are not submitted to Jesus. And that, that thought has come to my mind when, when being married has been most difficult. But again, it's by God's amazing grace that we're standing here today, still married and having been faithful to each other all those years. And then I consider something that's even more precious to me than church, even more precious to me than marriage, and it's my faith in Jesus. And I have complete confidence that... I will gain eternal life in heaven. That, that's, that's, a, that's a bewildering gift, to, to know that that is mine now, is the fact that I live with the Holy Spirit in me, empowering me, sanctifying me every day, help, you know, helping me to grow. It, it seems unbelievable. And so I, often when I pray, sometimes I just I pause and I reflect, and I think, God, why did you pick me? <laughs> I, I am utterly amazed that you stooped down in my direction you reached in, you ripped out my heart of stone and inserted a soft, living heart. 
when I became a Christian, that moment I, I had that transformation, God, God was there, and God is, has been there every moment since that time, sustaining me all along the way. I really believe that if I had to keep myself believing, I'd never make it. If I had to keep myself faithful to the marriage, I would never make it. And if I had to keep myself courageously leading a church, I would never make it. God sustains me every second. And I, what, I, what I believe is if, if God did not keep me, I would be a lost cause. If, if the decisive cause for my faithfulness to Jesus must come from within me, it's not going to come because it's not there. And this is why, this idea is really why I love, it's one of the big reasons that I love the Bible, and in particular, I love the book of Jude, which is a, a letter that we've been reading. Verses uh, 24 and 25 are, are two verses I've been hinting at over the past couple weeks. We've been walking through this letter, the book of Jude. It's a short one-page, 25-verse letter in the Bible, just before Revelation, so it's second to last. And... Uh, my two favorite verses I've saved for the end of this series, which are right now. So let me just read the last two verses, 24 and 25. It says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. I just read, a, it's a doxology, which means mean a, a, a glorious statement of praise and, and declaration. And before I explain some of the wonders of this passage, I want to point out the guy who wrote it. So Jude. I've mentioned a few things about Jude. Uh, the name Jude is kind of interesting, and, and it's, it's, the, it's actually the first word in this letter. So that's how we know it's written by him. It just says Jude. He introduces himself. In Greek, uh, it's, it's the Greek name Eudos, which is sometimes translated Judah or sometimes Judas. So, it's, so Jude, Judah, Judas are actually all the same name in Greek. And so I'm not actually 100% sure why in different parts, parts of the New Testament it's, it's written in English differently. I think it might be to separate some people because if you, if you know the gospel story, you know that Judas Iscariot is the one that betrayed Jesus and um, ultimately was the, a, a picture of apostasy and so was, is, is now separated from God forever, even though he was one of uh, Jesus' disciples. So, so Jude, who wrote this letter, has the same name as Judas, the betrayer. And so I thought, you know, how, how far away was the author Jude from being like the traitor Judas? They share a name. They share the same Greek name. John 7, 5, earlier in the Bible, it tells us that Jesus' brothers did not believe in Jesus. So Jude was one of the brothers. He was a son of Joseph and Mary, and Jesus, of course, is the son of Mary, son of God. And so he's, Jude was a half-brother to Jesus, and so he grew up with Jesus being his brother his whole life, but he never acknowledged Jesus as the son of God. He was unbelieving, and I would guess probably antagonistic, because honestly, it'd be pretty hard to be neutral towards your brother who, who kept saying that he was God. <laughs> and you're like, no, if you don't believe, you're, like, you're going to like, no, I, I lived with you, okay? Um, so I would guess, uh, I, don't, I, have no, we, I don't know exactly what their relationship was like, but Jude didn't 
believe that Jesus was God until after the resurrection. So this guy, Jude, who doubted Jesus' authority, God swooped in and changed his heart. And now he wrote some of the Bible. This, God, God uses a fallen human being like Jude, who, who rejected Jesus the whole time he was alive, and now God picks Jude to write some of the Bible. He, he wrote a letter that was later canonized, became authoritative, the infallible word of God, preserved now for centuries. This, this to me is amazing that, that God, you know, a doubter, a rejecter, would be trans, and now, now his name's in the Bible. So that, that gives me a little bit of hope as I, as I read through this. And so then I think, so how far away was the author Jude from being like the traitor Judas? As far as I can tell, the only difference is the grace of God. And this was not lost on Jude. He knew that. that I think that's why he penned these glorious words in verses 24 and 25. And I, I want to explain a little bit more about it. But if you're here today and you're in a part of your life, you're a time of your life where you're needing a little bit of hope and there are some struggles going on, this is a good Sunday for you to be here. Because I, th I think most of us walk through seasons of life when it seems we cannot last. There are seasons when you walk and, and it just feels there's opponents on every side, there's pressure from every direction, and I feel, we feel blind to the future. I don't know how things are going to turn out. I, I have no idea how, how these things in my life are going to get resolved. And there's days when I have thought, all my efforts are worthless. As far as I can tell, my efforts here are worthless. And it doesn't matter what I do, I lose. There have been, those, are, those are weeks when I think, oh my gosh, i got to preach on Sunday. And I can barely lift my head right now. There have been days when I was under heavy opposition. Days when the marriage was under heavy attack. And my, my most often prayer, if you were to catch me like spontaneously when I was in the middle of praying... One thing that you might hear me saying, because I say this all the time, is, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. Please help me. Please have mercy on me. Show me, the, show me what I need to do. Because in myself, and I'm being honest, I am full of weakness, incompetence, foolishness, and sinfulness. On my own, I am so inadequate and so incapable so when I look back at my life, and like I just told you a little bit about my marriage and years in ministry, and I have kids that I'm raising, I look back at all that, and I'm amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed that I've lasted this far. Like, how, wow, how, how did I, I'm still standing. How did that happen? <laughs> and as far as I can tell, I still have a long way to go, too. And, you know, maybe if you're, if you're older than me, maybe you're like, all right, God, I have more confidence that God's going to hold me because he's been doing it for decades. I feel like I've got, I've got a long way to go still. I mean, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, of course, but my sense, my best guess is that God has more for me to do, and so I'm going to have to last longer, more than likely. But I do have confidence that I can keep going because of what Jude says here in verse 24. He says, Now to him who is able to protect me from stumbling and to make me stand in the presence of his glory. Uh, that, that phrase right there, he is able, you might read that and think it might apply, God is able to make you stand, but he might not, so don't count on it. 
All right, you know, he's able, it, it's, you know, sort of a gamble if it's going to happen or not. No, it's not, that's not the sense of what is read, the, the Greek word, it's like uh, dunamai. It means, no, God is strong and he is capable and he can be depended upon and he is so powerful. He, I know I will endure to the end because he's going to make sure that it happens. Did you know that the entire universe does not run itself? It, the universe is not self-powered. Hebrews 1.3 says the entire universe was created by Jesus, actually by his words, and the universe is currently, to the, at this very moment, it's being upheld and sustained by Jesus. If, if the universe requires the sustaining power of Jesus, how much more would such a limited creature like myself, how much more would I be wholly dependent on Jesus just to make it through each day? And so I think, about, I think about making it to the end in my life, and I think about my blunders and my sin, and who knows what's going to happen next, and I think, all right, I'm, I'll make it across the finish line. I'll, I'll make it through the pearly gates. I'll, I'll step into God's kingdom, but it won't be pretty. It's not going to look good because I'll be somewhat ashamed of myself. I, I'll just be barely skating by. But that, that's not true either. Look at what it says. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand, not cower, not be hunched over and sort of ashamed of myself. No, stand straight. God will make me stand straight in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. Just no shame. I'll be standing there with no more dirt, total utter happiness bursting with joy and relief. I'll, I'll be pure and totally cleansed. And it all happens on account of him. This future that I, that I have a confident hope for, this future state of blissful gratitude is dependent on me, not at all, <laughs> not even a little bit. It's on account of these incredible qualities of God. It says, we'll stand without blemish and with great joy, Here's the second half of the doxology. It says, Two, praise be to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. A lost cause is someone who has no chance of succeeding. And I've, we've looked at different ways that this letter kind of combats this idea of us being a lost cause. If you've ever felt like a lost cause you need to know that a believer, somebody who has put their faith in Jesus alone, a believer is never a lost cause. Uh, look again, at, let me highlight this part of, of verse 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling. Now, if, if we're not going to stumble, does that mean God will stop us from ever sinning again? I would, in my case, I would say no. <laughs> Definitely no. Uh, the sin still seems to leak out of me at a pretty incredible rate. Now, it, this, this couldn't possibly mean we'll stop sinning in this life right now. The, the, what it's talking about is you will not experience the kind of stumbling where you trip and you fall and then you stay down, whether you have no hope of anyone lifting you up. Protection from stumbling means that the trajectory of my life now and in eternity is trending upwards and that direction is irreversible and unchangeable. It is only going up. 
On the way there, I'm fully aware that I am a sinful work in progress. But this glorious truth, this, this thing that helps us combat those down days, is this truth from Jude is echoed by Paul. In one place in Philippians 1.6, he says, Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will, he will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. My friend, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is one of God's promises to you. This is a good one. This is one you should know on those low, those low moments. He will bring you to perfection. And it's currently in progress right now. If it weren't for the fact that God has promised to see his work in me all the way through to completion, I would certainly feel overwhelmed at times. If I knew that it, at least it depended on me somewhat, or like I might mess it up, that the amount of stress from, from having to just nail it perfectly every day, that's, it's, it's, un, it's almost unbearable. It's like hopeless. On my good days, I think I might be able to do it, but I, I, I know if it depended on me, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do it. God is the one who will bring this project, me, to completion. But we got to trust that God's working even when we can't see it. So after reading, or really studying this letter for three weeks, Jude, I haven't actually read the first two verses. So I want to do that right now. This is, this is the last part of this letter that we haven't read. But partly because I wanted you to notice that Jude's letter ends and begins with the full assurance that God is the, is the decisive keeper of us. Um, and Jude 1 and 2, it says, Jude, this is his introduction of himself, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He says, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Three things stand out there. It says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Right there, Jude says at the very beginning, three things. We are called, we are loved, and we are kept. That means the, the love of God moves him to call the elect to himself out of death and unbelief. And then those whom he calls, he keeps. He holds on tight. This is, and there's a, there's a beautiful sequence here. It goes in this order. The order is an essential. And this is exactly, again, what Paul teaches, that God keeps those whom he calls. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9 says, God will sustain you to the end. God will sustain you. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called. Those of us who are called by God, we will arrive with no guilt and no blemish, and we'll get there. We'll be sustained on the last day. Again, he writes about this in Romans 8.30. Maybe you know this verse. It says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's a sequence here where none of those that God calls and loves gets lost along the way. There's no spiritual dropouts. Nobody can wiggle out. The called are kept, and it's done by God. So this is, this is a, a rock-solid teaching of both Paul and Jude. And so Jude establishes first, the first and last, the decisive work of God in keeping his own. 
And in between, in between this letter that well, we looked at the last two weeks, there's this really big warning to us Christians, or those of us who are Christians, about false teachers, people who start distorting our perspective on the world and the culture and what's right for us to do, what's wrong, what are, what are the areas that are out of bounds, and there's a lot of twisting and confusion. There's like a lot of stealthy ideas that creep in, and if certainly these, these ungodly ideas distort the culture, but it also distorts us too. Like we're, we're at risk, we're at danger of having our minds twisted subtly about what's right and wrong. So there's this big warning, that's what we looked at. And along the way, there are some people involved in the distortion. Jude references a couple, um, this is just a highlight, this is a look back at what we looked uh, at recently, but in, in verse six he says, he refers to the, there's some fallen angels, which you are now demons. Um, Regarding the angels, he has kept, I want you to notice that word, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Um, he writes a little bit more in verse 13. He's talking about people, ungodly people. He says, the ungodly, they're like wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is kept forever. Again, that same word, kept. So <clears throat> when Jude refers to ungodly people, uh, which is a, it's a frequent word he uses. He's referring to people that demonstrate with their lives that they don't care what God has to say, and they're going to live however they want. And, and un the ungodly are just, they're just going to live guided by their own desires. I don't care. I mean, sure, maybe there's a God of the universe, and thanks for making the universe, but I'm going to do what I want. That would be the ungodly. And so the ungodly angels and ungodly people are kept in judgment. And it's the same Greek word, terero, when Jude writes that we are, we are kept for God, by God, for Jesus. So this word kept, it means to, to keep, to guard, to watch over and protect. And it goes in two different directions here. We already, we, we know, you, perhaps you know how strong, or maybe, maybe we have an idea of how powerful God is that whatever God has decided to guard and protect, no one is going to disrupt. No one can twist God's arm or, or pry open his fist. No, what, what God is keeping, it's going to stay that way. And so we have in Jude, this really short letter, a very startling dichotomy where on the one hand, those who God calls and loves, he will keep them till the end. And those who are ungodly, God will keep in judgment eternally. And there's no other options. There's no squeezing between the cracks on this one. And at this moment, I wonder, as you sit here, do you know which of these better describes your current situation? Which of these directions describes your spiritual condition? And if you're not totally sure, I have a recommendation. Here it is. I recommend that you make a permanent, irreversible decision to yield to Jesus as Lord. And that word Lord really means he's the boss now. He's the boss of your life. So make, make, I, I strongly recommend that you make a permanent, irreversible decision to yield to Jesus as Lord. Many people go through life resisting Jesus. There's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe they don't want to think about it. Maybe they have some things in their past that, that turn them against God. Or maybe there's some 
bad people in their life, or maybe there's things that Jesus said that they disagree with, but there's all kinds of reasons that a person really resists Jesus. And to make him the Lord and the boss, the Lord, it means it's a big shift a person must make where they say, I am no longer in charge of myself. He is in charge of me totally. And that is permanent, and I, there's no holdbacks. There's no, there's no area of my life, no little sector, no little closet or hiding spot where I have not brought to Jesus and I've let him be in charge of and call the shots in. That's a big step. It's, it's actually, you can, you can do a lot around Jesus. You can do a lot of, you can, actually, you can actually go to church for a very long time. I've met plenty of people that have gone to church for a few decades, actually, and have never quite done this, where he's the, he's the full, he is fully in charge of my whole life right now. My money, my schedule, my time, my relationships, my words, my thoughts, my habits, my actions, everything he's in charge of. And the reason we would do that is because we get to the humbling position where we realize, I need a savior. I need to be saved from my sins. I, he's, he's my only way out. And so, I think what Jude is saying in this letter, or one of the things he's saying is, if Jesus is not your keeper, you will not be kept. That's what the letter is all about. Anyone who is not called and saved and kept by Jesus is a lost cause. That for that person, their future is, in eternity, is a pretty horrifying one. The good news is, you can turn. <laughs> you can turn. You may actually be feel, you might feel God tugging on your heart right now. And you might even be hearing in, in your mind, God saying to you, I've called you. I love you. And I will keep you. If that's you... That is the moment a person decides to turn, to yield, to turn, and put our faith in him. If that's you, do that. If you don't know how to do that exactly, let's talk about it. Write it on your card or come talk to me afterwards. Maybe you've already done that at some point in your life. You've yielded. I have another recommendation. And it is to trust the God who forms the path you're walking on. The reason I say this is, you know, like I said, there, there's these moments where you think, I don't know if I can last. I, everything I do is wrong. I, or I haven't done anything wrong yet, but I really might blow it. This feeling so much pressure. All my efforts are worthless. No matter what I do, I lose. And it may be you're in that situation because God is forming a path for you to walk on. And the path you're walking may be a whole lot longer than you wanted it to be and a whole lot rougher than you wanted it to be. For me, four rough paths for me have been my, my own walk with God, my faith, my marriage, my kids, and my ministry or the church, my responsibility. Th those are four things I care an awful lot about. And I'm often worried that I'm going to mess it up somehow. And I, I, often, I often feel like I'm failing in one of those areas. Either my walk with God is failing, my marriage, I'm doing something wrong, my kids, I'm going to mess them up, or this ministry is going to fall apart. I'm going to blow it because I'm doing something wrong. And the more that it depends on me, the more pressure I feel, 
And the more pressure I feel, the more intense is the discouragement when I do mess something up or when I do miss something or when I do sin. The, the amount of discouragement is so overwhelming at times. Because no, I've got, nah, I've got to work harder. I've got to be better. It's all riding on me, my performance. In those moments, it is a game changer to remember, praise the God who is able to protect me from stumbling and to make me stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. I don't, maybe you've heard that. That's an, that's an idea. I've, I've often heard people say, you're like, oh, you know, you know, like the Bible says, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> that's one of those, I, I thought about doing a series on all the things that people think are in the Bible that are not. This is one. Um, the truth is God does give you more than you can handle. <gasps> I don't know if I just burst a bubble. Actually, I'll give you an example from the Bible. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, wrote, he wrote this. He's writing, he says, We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. So this is an unhandleable situation he's writing about. He's like, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we felt we had received a death sentence. We despaired even of life itself. So apparently at least Paul was in a situation he couldn't handle. And he says the reason God put him in that situation was so that they would trust not in themselves, but in the God who raises the dead. He's like, we might even, we actually, it's so bad, we might just die. And if God's going to change it, he's going to have to raise the dead. That's how bad the situation is. Um, I think what people mean to quote is that there's, there is actually a statement in the Bible that says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So that's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Which that just means um, God will never trick you and like put you in a situation where the temptation is so great that the only thing that you can do is just sin. He says, you'll never be in that situation. But as far as being in unhandleable situations, yes, you're, you're probably going to walk into those. And you may be in one of those, or you may be afraid that you're heading into one of those. And so that's why I suggest that you really trust the God who is forming your path right now. And I want to ask you, what, what would it look like for you to really, truly trust him with the path? It might involve accepting what is going on right now. To really trust him might involve releasing stress. Jesus tells us over and over again, do not be anxious. Do not strive with worry. There's a reason. And he tells us how to do that, but maybe there's this releasing of stress and just entrusting him. Another thing you can do, by the way, is just pray for God's mercy, which, again, is one of my most frequent prayers. Like, Lord, Please have mercy on me. Show me. I don't know what to do. You may have to pray that more than once. Let me read one more passage. <clears throat> this is the last one I'll read. It's from Psalm 121. Oh, okay, so bring to mind, well, before I read this, bring to mind one area of your life where you think you might blow it up or you think you might really mess things up for yourself or for somebody else. Just could be your work or a relationship or your kid or something like that. Bring, bring to mind. Now listen to this. God will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. 
the Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. The Lord will protect your coming and your going both now and forever. Amen to that. The last thing I'd, I would suggest, this is just one more possible next step in light of this, is I'd, I'd like to invite you back for our next message series. So we, we just read the book of Jude, and I want to go to some of the things that Jesus said. And we're starting, we're going to start, next Sunday, we're going to start a new series called You've Got to Be Kidding. <laughs> and it's going to be called You've Got to Be Kidding because... Um, Oh, I think I put, I think I forgot, I put it, there's a cool image that I forgot to put in. But the series is called, You've Got to Be Kidding, because we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus said, where like when you're listening to him, you're like, are you serious? Like, there's a, by the way, there's a lot of them. We're not going to cover all of them, but there's things that people are listening like, Jesus, are you serious? Like, how, how do you respond to that? You've got to be kidding me. Um, and it's really important that we get clear on what Jesus told us to do. Some people want to conveniently forget them or change them or twist them, but we've got to get really clear on it because ultimately, if, if it is true that we will decisively make it all the way home because of God as believers, um, that's true, but there is a, a good deal of our experience on the way there that's determined by our obedience. So there's sort of a quality of experience that's really affected by how well we obey his commands, especially the hard and sometimes surprising ones. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to looking at some of the surprising things that he says next week. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for our time together this morning. And praise be to God. You are the one that keeps us. And for those of us that you have called, and there are many here, you have just made a decision. You have determined to set your affection on us and to preserve us through all of the ups and downs and, and really, for many of us, a lot of awful things in life. And you have promised to preserve us and not only that, but to grow us and to keep molding us and sanctifying us and changing us into the kind of perfection that you desire so that when we ultimately stand before you, we will be blemish-free and overflowing with joy. For those that are, are exploring what it means, what, the, what a life of faith in Christ even means, I pray that you would bring clarity, that you would bring spiritual life that out of your mercy, that you would call people out of darkness and death into new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.